uh, and the fact that we need Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Now this passage of Scripture is written in the Old Testament. And the Lord is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and He's speaking to the nation of Israel. He's speaking to the Jews. Now, you might say, well, that means it doesn't apply to me. Uh, there are some things that I believe make this so relevant to the Jews and application today that we can't get around it. The Jews were called God's chosen people. I, I like this. The Bible also says that the Jews were called a peculiar people. Look around. <laughs> uh, it also says that they were called a holy people. In fact, he called the Jews at one point a holy generation. And there were people that God called out and he chose to reveal himself to and to speak to and to bless. And he also said that Abraham would be the father of the Jews and through his seed he would bless many nations. And that means us, that even we as Gentiles are blessed. We're incorporated into uh, that bloodline, that family tree uh, of believers. And God is speaking through Jeremiah and he's speaking to the Jews, to this group of people that should be dearly and desperately in love with God the Father. And he is not pleased with what he has to say. So let me read this and just get right back to the title of the message and uh, go through the outline and the message as best I can. Now, I won't be able to see if you sleep tonight. My left eye, I go to the doctor in the morning and uh, they told me my left eye is rejecting the cornea that was transplanted 14 years ago, something like that. And uh, my right eye, I can normally see out of if I have a contact in. I'm tired today, so I don't have my contact in. So I won't know if you're sleeping. All right. But I hope you stay awake for the message. All right. I got in trouble in this, right here, in this choir loft one Sunday morning. Any of you who remember Ronnie Cox, uh, he's a big boy. No matter how you define big, I didn't say fat, just big. And he used to fall asleep in the choir, and I don't think that I can sing. In fact, the few times I tried to sing at churches, well, you guys ordained me and sent me off to another church. And the first church I pastored sent me to another church. And I just quit trying to sing in choirs at about the third church. Uh, but Ronnie was sleeping beside me, and his wife would always say, Now, Charles, if you see Ronnie sleeping in the choir loft, you nudge him and wake him up. I said, Okay, I'll be glad to do that. <laughs> Little old me, 125 pounds. I'd nudge him each I'm awake. <laughs> and I nudged him one morning. He must have been awake. And I hit just the right rhythm. He says, I am awake. And if you do that one more time, I'm going to break you in half right here in the choir loft. <laughs> I don't care if he sleeps or not now. <laughs> and I say that to say this to you. I can't see you, but I'm not going to try to wake you up if you do fall asleep. But I want to ask you this question again before I read the passage. Do you love the Lord? Do you truly Love the Lord. There's no doubt that many of us would say yes. There's no doubt that uh, society, uh, we can say as Americans, that at one point we were a nation committed to loving the Lord Jesus Christ, committed uh, to what He wanted us to do as a country. I believe just as the nation is no longer living for God the Father, no longer living and glorifying Jesus Christ, many believers are not. And we need to examine our hearts tonight. So let's read this. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when, when we were engaged, when we first fell off. I remember you, I remember that time, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. That is, anybody 
who comes against Israel will offend God, and God is going to be upset with them. And he says, disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What injustice have your fathers found in me? This is a rhetorical question. He doesn't expect an answer. And if they try to answer, there's not an adequate answer. What injustice have your fathers found in me? That they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters. Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruits and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal. And the King James literally says that the preachers, there are those who, who were called to, to do certain things with the Word of God, and they weren't doing it. And they walked after things that do not profit. Therefore I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children. If you think that your sins don't affect anybody other than yourself, listen to what the Lord says. And against your children's children I will bring charges. The sins of today will affect our children and our grandchildren. You can count on it. It will happen. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and sea. Send to Kadar and consider diligently. And see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? There are those who worship false gods. Have they changed those gods? Have those who worship those false gods, who were really not gods at all, have they walked away from those false gods? Listen to what he goes on to say. But my people have changed the glory, their glory, for what does not profit. They've left the true God. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. This we all have heard time and time again. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So tonight I want to ask again, do you truly love the Lord? And I know that that word love has a lot of different meanings for different people. Love is sometimes a word that's difficult for some people to say. Love is sometimes difficult for people to express and one of the wonderful things about the Word of God, and I think that it goes right along with this passage that helps me, is that God does not expect a standard from us. He doesn't expect us to act or behave a certain way without giving us that standard. And if I ask you tonight if you love the Lord, I believe that it's not too difficult to look in this passage and see exactly what it means to love the Lord. And that's the first point of the message this evening that I want to give you. When I ask, do you love the Lord? Let's look at what the Bible says about love being described. There are three attributes about love that are given here in the first few verses of this scripture that I believe apply to each one of us as believers, as young Christians or as older Christians. It makes absolutely no difference. If we want to examine our hearts and see whether or not we're truly in love with the Lord, then I believe that these, these verses of scripture, one through three, will help us to decide whether or not we're truly in love with the Lord. Let's read this. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you. And he goes on to say something that is very beautiful. The kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. 
Now, he goes on to say this. When you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord. The first fruits of his increase, all that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. There are three things I want to show you about love being described. First of all, I believe in the first few statements there in, chapter, in verse 2, he says that there is a joy that is unspeakable. Now, I had to go way back. And I had to prick my brain uh, to when I first met Kathy. And I just got, by the way, I just got chastised tonight. I want you to know that you guys are doing a great job of defending my wife. Miss Baxley said that she really enjoyed the message yesterday morning. And then came that little caveat, that but. If I was Kathy, I would really get you for the way you picked on her. And I thought to myself, you have no idea who I live with, do you? <laughs> Let me tell you something about this quiet little girl here sitting up front. You know, when I first met her, I was just overwhelmed. I mean, she was a size one plus, that's it. She had to get her, her prom gown, she had to get it tailored down to fit her. It was, she was so teeny. I mean, she, she was walking around in a pair of blue jeans that looked like they had been painted on. And all I did was stare. <laughs> Y'all say what you want, I don't care. I, I'm just telling you what I did. You can pick on me all you want. I was, man, I thought to myself, I don't know what her name is, but I'm going to try my best to find out. So I'm driving down 2nd Street, and I pull into stocks, and she pulls into stocks one way. I pull in the other way, and, and I was with a friend that looked kind of geeky, and she was with some friends, and, and I thought, man, that's a good-looking girl. And she pulled right up beside me, and her window was rolled down, and I rolled my window down real fast. I said, the coolest line I could think of. I said, baby, you look good. <laughs> yeah, and you know what she did? The first lie she ever told anybody, she said, so do you. I thought, it is on like Donkey Kong now. <laughs> Next thing I knew, her, her, her friends were flagging me down on 2nd Street. I pulled over, and I started talking to her. Now, listen how God's in this. I was still in the service, knowing I needed to be in church. I was looking for a godly young lady. Didn't run around with prostitutes and all that mess when I was in the service. Didn't drink. Didn't, didn't sleep with a bunch of girls. I just stayed away from all that stuff. I, 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 I knew what God wanted me to do. I knew I needed to be in the ministry. I was still in the army, and I needed to get in church, and I didn't know where to go to church. So she, she didn't take much persuading. She persuaded me to get in her back seat. She was still driving. Calm down. And she had that, that mirror cocked way down, and, and I could see her eyes, and she could see mine. She said she fell in love with my blue eyes. I thought this whole time it was my chest. Not a chance. No. Anyway, it's my blue eyes. And I remember I looked at her and I said, what are you doing tomorrow? This is Saturday night. She said, well, I'm, I'm going bowling. And I thought, Lord, if this girl tells me that she's going bowling with a group from church, I'm going to marry her. I said, well, who, who are you going bowling with? She said, well, I'm taking my Sunday school class from church. I just found the woman I'm going to marry. <laughs> the next day, I was doing some granny bowling with all the little kids, you know, and, and just dropping the ball everywhere because I was trying to look behind me at her the whole time, you know. And here we are, 25 years later, married. She's the reason I got back in church. She's the reason I devoted my life to serving the Lord in ministry. After all, I felt like I needed to do different things, and, and God used her to honor the call that he had put in my life to cause me to honor it, and I... I accepted the call and surrendered into the ministry. And I can tell you that when I first met Kathy, if I had to talk about her, I would stutter. And I'm not one to stutter. 
Everybody would say, well, 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 what do you like about this girl in North Carolina? My parents would ask me. What do you, I said, oh, man, Dad, she's just she's so good looking. Dad, she's so, Dad, she's smart. She's going to school to be a teacher. And I just went on and on and on and on. I said, well, slow down. Wait a minute. Talk. Wait a minute. Just be. And her dad and her mom would ask her, what do you like about her? Now, you know, you had no mom. What do you like about that boy anyway? And she would just start slamming. She would just start to lay out a whole string of things about how nice it was and all these other things. You know, she just, just, just played me up big time. And she could never really talk without being excited. And I couldn't talk about her with being excited. And when I read this passage of scripture, that's exactly what the Lord is saying about the Jews. He said, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, when you easily fell in love. And then the love of your betrothal, when you could not say enough about me that was good. When you couldn't open your mouth quick enough to brag about your heavenly father. When you couldn't say enough to somebody else about this God that you had just met who had done such a wonderful work in your life. You could not hold back. You didn't want to hold back. And if anybody asked you more than once, you said the same thing all over again. You wanted them to know how good your God was. Oh, man. That is a joy that is unspeakable. Amen? Hey, look, I, I mean, I think it's wonderful when I see young people fall in love and they come to me and say, Pastor, we're in love. We want you to marry us. And, you know, I ask them, well, why do you want to get married? And they just stop. Da, 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 da. I say, wait a minute, one at a time, slow down. Hold it. You know, half what you're saying is not true. But, but anyway, I mean, I just, I just listen to it and I'm like, wow, how neat to be so excited when you first fall in love. And some of us, we still treat we now treat God the way that we do if we're not careful with somebody that we've had a relationship for so many years. Y'all have heard the joke, but I think it's so applicable here because it's sometimes how we treat God. The elderly man who's walking with his wife every uh, week, he goes out to eat with her, and every week they go to the same restaurant, and they sit down, and the waitress just compliments him. And says, I want you to know how encouraging it is, sir, to see you with your wife after all of these years. You're always together, and it just means so much to see that you're in, in such deep love after all of these years. And he says, hold it, Missy. Don't misunderstand anything. It's a whole lot easier to take her with me than to have to kiss her goodbye. <laughs> I, I, I want you to know that sometimes that's the way we treat God. It's a whole lot easier to carry him with me than to just say that I'm leaving him at home. I, I carry around some, some attributes of saying that I'm a Christian, but my heart's not truly devoted to him. I have lost this love of my youth and the love of my betrothal. There's no longer a joy that is unspeakable. Sometimes I can sum up my commitment in just a word or two. Yes, I'm saved, and that's it. And there's no longer this bragging attitude about who God the Father truly is. There's a joy that is unspeakable when we love the Lord. You know what I'm talking about. You also understand what I'm trying to say to you when I say that it's no longer as easy sometimes for some of us when we should be bragging about the Lord to open our mouths and brag about what he has done. But there's also a close that's inseparable. Listen to what the Lord goes on to say. When you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Now, after the end of this week, you're going to know everything there is to know about me and Kathy. I guarantee it. This little statement here, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. It, it simply means this, wherever God went, the Jews followed. Wherever God told them to go, the Jews went. What a wonderful thing. And what a beautiful thought that wherever God pointed, wherever God commanded, the Jews were going to be obedient. And in the times that they weren't, God punished them. I understand that. We all know that. I'm not trying to neglect their sin. I'm not trying to neglect the fact that they were not always obedient. But he's saying, I remember the time when wherever I led you, you went. And wherever I went, uh, you were willing to follow close beside me. I didn't have to search for you. I didn't have to call out to you. And you didn't have to 
have to wonder where I was. You knew that I was there. I was with you. I was present. Drove up to Broadridge Baptist Church one Sunday morning, and uh, I think it was Horace Lawson. It may not have been Horace Lawson. It may have been another one of the men. I'm not quite sure, but they caught me in the, right here in the back after a parked had already come in, and they asked me, they said, Charles, how in the world, I had a Ford Ranger, a four-cylinder Ford Ranger with a five-speed transmission. They said, how in the world do you drive that truck with Kathy sitting so close? I thought, man, I love it. It's great. I mean, first gear's here, second gear's here, third gear's here, and fourth gear's right on her kneecap or her thigh. Like, I love it. It's great. Never even hit fifth gear because then I got to leave her body, and I don't want to do that. Drive 65 miles an hour in fourth gear. Forget about the gas mileage. I'm with a pretty girl. This is great. We're close. 25 years of marriage. We have a car now. She sits over there. I sit over here. And who moves, right? You know the question. You understand what I'm getting at? When you're in love with the Lord. There's a closeness that's inseparable. You take him with him to work. You take him with you to work. You take him with you to recreation. You take him with you to friends' houses. You, you, you're always with the Lord. Wherever he points, whatever he says, you do. There's no reservation. There's no hesitation. On our honeymoon, I thought, well, this, I like this idea here. Uh, when you went after me in the wilderness, Kath and I, our marriage started off rocky. It's gotten a little better. She's still with me. Uh, I decided on our honeymoon, I, you know, let me tell you a little bit about the honeymoon. We came back early from our honeymoon, and everybody thought it was because we were homesick. That's a lie. We went, how many of you have ever been to Fontana Village? Fontana Dam, Fontana Village? Yeah, Fontana Resort? Yeah, yeah don't go. <laughs> Kathy paid forever. We paid for five, six, or seven years on the credit card for this disastrous honeymoon. It was awesome. I'm telling you, hey, we showed up at Fontana, and as soon as we got there, we thought, well, we'll get something to eat. So we went out. I said, well, I've got a lot of things planned. I tell you, we're gonna, we're gonna first of all, we're gonna go to the pool, and after we go to the pool and we swim, uh, we're gonna go horseback riding. After we go horseback riding that evening, well, we're gonna get on that little boat, the big ship that goes around Fontana Lake, and we're gonna go on a cruise, and we're gonna have a great evening, and then we're gonna go out to eat. I said, that is great. So we go to the pool. Kathy climbs up the slide. This is the absolute truth. Now I'm in church. I'm not gonna lie to you in church. Okay, if we we're playing Monopoly. I might, but I'm not lying to you. Now. She climbs up the steps to the pool. She slides down one time. I'm not even wet. I still have my bathing suit on. I'm still trying to show off my physique for you know. I'm strutting around the side of the pool like, yeah, we're gonna swim, you know. And she climbs up the pool. She slides down the chlorine uh, chlorinator malfunction. And as soon as she hit the water, they said, "We're sorry. There's a chemical imbalance. You got to get out of the pool." I didn't need to tell. This is awful. I didn't break a sweat. It's terrible. I said, okay, well, let's go horseback riding. You said that's on the agenda. So we go horseback riding. I get on the horse. Absolute truth. A halfway through the ride, the horse threw me into a creek bed, and I'm laying on my back soaking wet, thinking, this is fun. Got up off the horse, got on the horse, I mean, got off the horse when we got to the barn, and the kid turns around and he says, you know, all we do is work for tips here. You might want to just give me a little bit of tip. I said, I got a tip for you. Feed the horse before you go out on a trail ride so he doesn't fight whoever's on it to try to go back. Man, they almost kill me. I'm not giving you a tip. Walk away mad. Catch up. Sorry, we got bad news. I can't get any water. <laughs> Kathy, 
not going to be your mid-afternoon food. Man, don't have that other option. That might be great. Just get out and run. That could be cool. I could catch, come on, let's get one of those canoes. They've got a canoe. Got some snacks. Got a blanket. Got some drinks. Okay, we're going to have a good time. Going to paddle right across this lake to a little point on that little island out there. It's going to be the two of us in a canoe. It's going to be so cool. I paddle. Break a sweat. Halfway through, Kevin says, Is it going to be much longer? <laughs> At this point, I'm thinking, Why do I need to paddle on the other side? I'm already tired. Get to the other side, climb out of the canoe. Again, with my hand up, there's absolute truth. There's a sign there from the National Forest Service. There's a bear that's on the loose that they're trying to trap through the business area. Got back in the canoe and paddle all the This passage of scripture says, I remember when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not shown. Kathy and I followed each other anywhere because we were in love. Might not always have gone great, but we followed each other anywhere and everywhere. And that's exactly what the Lord says the Jews did. Wherever he said go, they went. And there was this closeness that was inseparable. And then there was also the third point of this uh, love being described. Uh, there was a loyalty that was mutual. Israel was holiness to the Lord. That is literally, they were a holy people. And if anybody profaned the name of the Lord, the Israelites would get angry and they would attack the adversaries of the Lord. And then it went on to describe the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him, that is everybody who would attack Israel, will offend God. And disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. So notice this loyalty that was mutual. If anybody said anything against the Lord, the Jews were upset about it. The Israelites were angry about it. And they would go to war for their God. And then God said, if anybody comes against the Israelites or against the Jews, then disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. I will attack your adversaries because you're being so faithful in attacking and fighting against my adversaries. There was a loyalty that is mutual. Now, what we've gone into today in church and with our relationship, if we're not careful, is we expect something from the other person and we don't expect to give anything. And the church expects everything from God without having to make any sacrifices on his behalf. See, if you truly love the Lord, if we really love the Lord the way that we should, it's not a, a game. There is a joy that's unspeakable. There is a, a closeness that's inseparable. And there's a loyalty that's mutual. I don't want to displease my God. I go all the way back to what the Bible says in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, over and over. How can I commit this sin? How can I sin against you, Lord? Or, or as, as, as the, the man said in the Old Testament, how can I commit this sin and sin against my God? And in the New Testament, Paul said uh, that he, he is uh, discouraged or ashamed of his past sin life. And he's the chiefest of sinners in him. There's no good thing except Christ alone. And he's literally saying, I want to live a holy life. I want to honor the God that has saved me. I want to be loyal to him. I want to finish well. Want to die faithful to the Lord. And I know the Lord's not going to renege on his half. It's what we do that brings shame. So love being described. Now I want you to see quickly love denied. I say quickly just to keep you awake and a little encouraged. Okay, beginning in verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what injustice have your fathers found in me? You've walked away. You're leaving me. What injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, have followed idols and have become idolaters? Listen to what he says here about love being denied. 
Neither did they say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? This is the first thing about love being denied. They forgot the Lord's delivering hand. That's one of the things that we do when we start to fall out of love with the Lord. We forget our salvation experience. We forget who we used to be. We forget how we used to live. We forget how deserving we were of hell and how God deserved, rightfully so, we deserve to be condemned to a sinner's hell. That's a reality. It's not a fake place. It's not just some statement that preachers like to say. It is a real truth. That God had to deliver us through his son Jesus Christ uh, by his gracious act and our act of faith. Uh, we received salvation and were delivered from a sinner's hell. And the Bible says here that the, that the Lord is asking the Jews, uh, where are these people who are now forsaking me? They have forgotten my delivering hand. And sometimes that's exactly what we do when we begin to fall away from the Lord. We forget what he has delivered us from. Oh, we look so forward to what he's going to deliver us to. We look so forward to heaven. We look so forward to a body that's not plagued with difficulties. We look so forward to fellowshipping with other believers who are with the Lord now and, and family members and saints. We're excited about that, but we forget here on earth what God has delivered us from. I pray on a regular basis, Lord, don't ever let me forget who I used to be before I was saved. I don't want to give place to the devil. I don't want to glorify him by, by bragging about my past sin life. I'm not going to waste time doing that tonight or any other time, I hope. I don't want to do that, but I pray that God will remind me over and over again that Charles Bruss was lost and he needed a Savior. I despised church. I despised God. I was upset by the organized church. I couldn't stand organized religion. It was just something for me to mock as a little boy. And God broke my hard heart and called me to himself, opened my eyes, and I received Christ by faith. I don't ever want to forget being delivered. Amen? Never. There's some things I hope to forget. But I hope I never forget that, ever. He said, they forgot the Lord's delivering hand. They also forgot the Lord's delicacies that he had given to them. I brought you, in verse 7, I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruits and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. I've often said when preaching John 3.16 or when preaching about the 23rd Psalm, either one, it makes no difference. But the Lord is really good to us. And he's merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve and he's gracious he gives us more than we deserve and that's exactly what takes place here in these couple of verses the Lord says I delivered them out of Egypt that was an act of mercy and then I was gracious enough to give them more than they ever deserved I brought them into a country that was full of fruits I brought them into a bountiful land and when they got there they forgot and made an abomination of my heritage they have totally defiled the name of God the Father God has delivered us he saved us praise the Lord amen he saved us he has not only given us what we need, he's given us some of his delicacies. He's given us so much of what we want, so much of what we want. Oh, I, I know, I'm like you. I have physical ailments. I have financial worries from time to time. I have problems in relationships in society. I have difficulties in my home from time to time. I'm going to have a lot after tonight, I guarantee it. I have a lot of things that go wrong in my life, but I hope I also never forget that God has given me so many precious delicacies. Wonderful things in addition to my salvation. Wonderful things. Life itself, what a joy. Amen? What a joy. What a joy. Not only did they forget the Lord's delivering hand, they forgot the Lord's delicacies. They also forsook the Lord's decrees. Of all the rebukes that he had given to this point, this is, this is the one that I think is so relevant to the church today. Look at you will in verse 8. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. 
The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. What is he saying? They forgot my decree. They started to do that which was right in their own eyes. They sought after their own judges. They wanted to be their own rulers. The Bible says there is a way that is right in the man's eyes, but the end thereof is destruction. And the Lord is saying that these people were given so much. I spoke to them. I revealed to them my will. I gave Moses my word. I wrote it on stones. I gave them tablets. And when they messed up and, and they, those tablets were destroyed, I made them again. And I emphasized to them exactly that I wanted to deliver them according to my promise. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, uh, that great battle would take place between the seed of the woman and the seed of the man and that serpent and how God would win the victory. And he was going to deliver people. I've done all of this, and I wrote it down to them. I told them how to live and how not to live. I gave them my decrees. Not only did they forget that God delivered them, they forgot all the wonderful things that God gave them. Then they just simply took his word and said it was God. I had a little illustration of that this evening because when I was ordained, you were gracious enough to give me a Bible at ordination. <clears throat> Doug Worley said, I want to go buy you a nice study Bible. I said, Pastor Worley, I, I have several Bibles. He said, well, I want to give you something. I said, well, just give me one of those gift and award Bibles in the back. You know, one of them that's bonded leather and not genuine leather. One of them that, that didn't cost an awful lot. I've got plenty of books as I go off to school. I have plenty to read you. Just, just, just give me that. He said, all right, I'll do it. As I was sitting down in the bedroom last night playing a video game. I still do that, by the way. The only race Jeff ever wins is if I'm driving on a video game. <laughs> Playing a video game, and I looked down underneath the game console, and there it was. That ordination Bible that Doug gave me, that you all gave me, gathering dust. And as I thought about this passage of Scripture this afternoon, I thought about that Bible that I saw last night, and I thought, what a graphic reminder, what a word picture to be able to share that our Bibles, sometimes even in the most important of homes, are set aside. Gathering dust, not being used as they should. Might not hurt you, but it just kind of gets my attention that society has turned away from God's word. We have people that tell us that we should not believe all of God's word, that we can't trust all of God's word, that it's not necessary for our standard of living. It's not the rule of life. It's not what we need. It is exactly what we need today more than any other time. Amen. Now. Just in case you think that I'm accusing you of something, look at verse 8 again. Listen to how he starts. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? The word wasn't being preached in the pulpit. Those who handle the law did not know me. The word was not being carried out in society. The rulers also transgressed against me. And I know the King James says something about the preachers. The prophets prophesied by Baal. They followed after false gods and walked after things that do not profit. Completely set aside God's word so they could have their own way. That's love being denied. So how does all that affect the Lord? And I know how it affects my wife when I deny her affection. I know how it affects my wife when I deny kind words. I know how it affects her when I deny doing acts of service for her and, and spending quality time with her. She knows how it affects me when those same things take place. We know how to be compatible. We know how to get along. We know how to love one another. We know how to serve one another. We know how to sacrifice. We know how to make things better in the home, but we don't always do it. We know how to correct this situation between us and a holy God, but we don't always do it as a church. This is revival. 
And I think we need to do it. One of the things that would motivate me and should motivate you is when I think about how much this must disappoint the Lord when we act this way. How much it must put a bad taste in Kathy's mouth when I don't love her the way that I should. How much it affects my children when they don't see a godly mother and a godly father. How much it affects my children when I don't love them the way that I should. When love is denied in any aspect of our life, it affects every aspect of our life. And here the Lord is going to give us exactly how he feels about us denying him. Three things. Hang in there. I told you I can't see if you're sleeping, but I have an idea. It's close. Verse 9. Therefore I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord. And against your children's children I will bring charges. Send to Kedar and consider diligently. And see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. He says something in verse 10. Two things that I think are very interesting. He mentions two locations. He says, pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see. Now that is the far reaches. That is the backwoods. That is Robinson County. Okay. <laughs> That, that's the other side of civilization, if you will. That's where everybody might not quite speak Greek the way that they should. It's where people go who don't have the best education. If you want to see the farmers, if you want to see the sheep herders, if you want to see those who take care of goats, if you want to see the nomads who live out in the middle of nowhere and move from place to place in a tent, those who don't have an awful lot economically, those who have not been to the best schools, go to those people that are uneducated and just simply ask them this question. Have you left your false gods? Absolutely not. Can you believe that the Jews have left their holy God? And they have forsaken him. And those uneducated people would say, and the Bible clearly says this, they would say, absolutely not. We cannot believe that they would do that. And then he says, go to this place called Kadar and consider diligently. Now those two words, consider diligently, tell us a little bit about this place, Kadar. A very well-educated, well-affluent uh, place, a, a fine city. Go to that place and ask those educated people, ask those well-to-do people, ask those who have the best universities, ask those who have sat at the feet of educated men and women, can you believe that somebody would leave their God and follow after another God? And even these heathens would say, we'd never leave our false God. Now, can you believe that the Jews who had been given so much by a holy God would leave their heavenly father and follow after false gods? They would forsake all that he has done for them. Can you believe that? And these heathens would proclaim, absolutely not. We can't believe it. The world looks at America. Can you believe that such a blessed nation has forsaken their God? The world, uh, the communities look at churches. Can you believe that such a blessed people have forsaken serving such a holy God? Lost people. Look at the church. Can you believe that men and women who are saved and have been given so much and have so much guaranteed for them and so much assurance through the, through the power of God's word and through the presence of the spirit, can you believe that they're forsaken a holy God and lost people say, I can't believe that a true believer would act that way. You see, the Lord's disappointment. He said, my people have become an abomination even among the heathens. He also says that they have become an astonishment in the heavens. 
as the nation changes gods which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Verse 12, be astonished, O heavens, at this. This is where God gives to uh, the celestial heavens, to all the, 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 the stars and the planets out there, to the suns and the galaxies. He gives them uh, just human attributes. He says, be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. My people have forsaken me. He literally, he, he's implying, if, if the heavens could cry out, they would say, we watched you create that earth. We watched you create man. And breathe life into his nostrils. You created them in your image. They have a moral personality. They have moral attributes about them. Uh, they're not like the animal kingdom. We saw you create them different than everything else that you had created. We saw how you treated them in a special way. We, we, we know that you have told them you're going to deliver them. We realize that they're sinful people, but we know that you told them over and over how much you love them, and they followed you for so long, and now the heavens are saying, we're astonished that those same people had so much given to them, and now they've walked away. If the heavens could cry out, the stars would say, Don't tell on me. And here, the moon and the stars are telling on us. I can't believe you've forsaken your God. The Lord's disappointment. We're an abomination among the heathens. We're an astonishment in the heavens. But then the last thing is this. We're anemic, spiritually, unhealthy. Our blood's not flowing like it should. The nutrients aren't there. We don't have enough strength, enough nourishment. Our body can't process what it doesn't have. And we're not taking in God's word. We're not walking closely with the Lord. And listen to how God says that we are anemic spiritually. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Living waters. That, that, that's everything we need. Living waters. You see, when the people came out of the wilderness for a time, they had to travel and they didn't have water. And you remember that it confronted Moses. We're going to die out here in the wilderness. What do we do? And they came to the place of, of the palm trees. And, and the Bible says that Moses took a branch, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. They're no longer bitter, and they began to drink, and that water saved their life. Living waters. This water saves our life, and we forsake it. The Word, the Father, the Son, the work of the Spirit, we've forsaken it. He says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I'm not very good at construction, so I had to look this up years ago. And I only know a little bit, probably not any more than you'd be excited to hear. You dig a hole in the ground, line it with stone, pitch, or tar. You wait for the rainwaters to come. They flow off rooftops, goes down the side of the roads, flows into a depression, may flow through the fields, may seep through the ground itself into this hole designed to hold water. And he says that this hole is broken, and it can't hold water. False gods, false things, possessions, desires of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, all of those things that we're pursuing and following after, leaving the living waters, and we've kind of dug out this cistern, this place of refuge that we want to have, this place that we want to go to and dip into to be refreshed. All of the recreation, all of the sinful desires, all of those things, we just want to dip into it and just drink out of that and say, oh, this is so good, but at best, 
It's full of sediment and parasites, possibly disease. And at worst, there's a crack, and it's flowing right out, and it doesn't last. And God says he's disappointed. We're pursuing so many things. We're so busy doing so many things. Love described, love denied, the Lord's disappointment. Do you love the Lord tonight? There's not a single time that I've preached this passage of Scripture that I walked away comfortable in my walk with the Lord. Oh, I know I'm saved. But I examine my own heart, my own life. Think, oh, Lord, it could be so much better. My walk could be so much closer. Don't think for a moment that Charles Bruss has it figured out. My family will tell you I don't. If I gave Kathy two minutes in this pulpit, it would be a bully pulpit. So I'm not asking that question with any arrogance. I don't have it all worked out. But I want to love the Lord. Do you? Do you want him to be the most important factor, the most important thing in your life? Not just saved, but a precious treasure, the most important thing in your life. Do you love the Lord? Brother, serves as you.